Hey, Sheree. Hey, Ham. <laughs> How's it going? It's good. It's good. I, I'm definitely in a moment where I'm finding my feet. And so it's exciting to do that and be okay with it. Like that's definitely the energy that I have these days. So thank you for asking. How are you? I'm great. I've uh, I've been discovering a lot of new music recently, and I've also been um, experimenting with trying to learn how to DJ, or I should say, actually, my husband, David, has been teaching me how to DJ. Thank you, David. Ooh, join the club. Um, I know. So watch out, Sheree. Um, and speaking of music, I got to say, I was so excited when I saw this guest pop up on our roster because I went to Afropunk in 2017 in Brooklyn to see Princess Nokia and a bunch of other acts and just had like the absolute best time. And so, uh, you know, with that, I feel like you should let everyone in on the secret that is today's guest. Ooh, and it, it's so funny. Like, I also have these memories of Afropunk, like back to, I think my first Afropunk was in 2014. Oh, and wow. Yeah. Like, and it was just such an incredible experience. And so today's guest, Manushka Maglor is one of the most dynamic women I've literally ever met in my life. And I know a lot of dynamic women, um, you do. And, and you know, it's just, you know, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Uh, <laughs> Manishka was the global director of community, social engagement, like all of the things, like really like all, I feel like she, her title should have been global director of all of the things like that would have fit because <laughs> that's how much of an impact she had on Afropunk. Like so much of how Afropunk became an integral fabric of the black creative community, the black queer community, the black punk community, like was like a direct result of Manushka's work and, and, and everything that she is. She started out in the music industry. She did brand marketing at Virgin mobile. Um, we've already kind of talked about her work at Afropunk. Um, but she, she's one of these people that's like at the intersection and the, the way I call it at the intersection of what it means to be like a Brooklynite, what it means to be for the culture. Like she is it. She uh, most recently uh, joined artist Hank Willis Thomas and um, has served as head of partnerships at four freedoms, which is like his like artist collective that really focuses on art and creativity as like a catalyst for like liberation. And, and, and her newest, newest, newest thing is she uh, started something called the layout, um, in the pandemic, she literally like, there's, um, there's this brand called Rayo and honey that makes these really cool, like pendants and totes. And one of them, my favorite one, um, says joy is an act of resistance. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of anybody that embodies that phrase more than Manushka. Like I met her through a friend, but we really connected on a dance floor in Johannesburg and she, I mean, listening to her is like a thesis on why joy is like one of the most radical points of transformation and liberation that we can exist in. And so without further ado, I am happy to bring on Manishka Meglor um, and share a bit more about her most recent 
journey with the layout and a little bit more. So let's do it. Okay, Manushka, tell us the moment when it just got real for you. You know, I think obviously collectively it got real for a lot of us um, at the top of 2020. So shit got real when um, I came back from a trip with my now ex uh, in, I was in Zanzibar and South Africa. And I returned to the United States in Feb of 2020. Um, and by March, it was like, so, hey, uh, we're going to have to lay off most of the current staff here. And here is um, at Afropunk, uh, a global music festival that was founded as a festival in um, 2010. Um, I had been part of the team and part of the growth and expansion team um, and very in, integral to that for the better part of five and a half, six years. Um, my identity was absolutely completely wrapped up in Manushka, you know, from Afropunk um, that went professionally, personally, casually, um, it just kind of was a type of entity um, where a lot of gray matter existed. Um, I, I didn't have the luxury of a nine to five that I applied my time, skills and talent to. And then I shut down the laptop and then I went home and lived as a, you know, separate person. My world's collided, coalesced, uh, were codependent. Um, so personal and professional, there was no clear line of demarcation. And I didn't realize at the time until I didn't have it as like container mm. that a lot of my, a lot of myself was wrapped up in that. And so when you didn't expect a thing to no longer be there and it was out of your control and, and nothing was done, you know, out of your own volition and it's, you're kind of free floating, you're free floating to do what now? Um, so shit got real for me when the pandemic and coronavirus, coronavirus um, sort of started, it spread and everything that most of us, as we knew it, came to a screeching halt and we had our lockdowns, I was left with who am I like for real? <laughs> Not just like, who am I? It's like, how am I going to make money? But like all of those existential things that we were all dealing with, at least most of us um, at home who did not necessarily have the luxury of um, knowing that or feeling like, Oh, this is just like a little break. And and then I'll just hop back in whenever, whenever this whole little thing is over. Like my cushy job will be just fine. I'll go back to it. I'll be great. Um, I kind of understood very succinctly that everything as I knew it was toppling and it was like a house of cards. So shit got real because I didn't understand who I was in this new 
version of our world. Um, I couldn't see past, like, like what would happen after. But yeah, it got real for me when I didn't have the thing that defined me and everybody knew me for, and I could point to and have several feathers in my cap around um, achievements and goals, but also um, a tangible tactile entity that encapsulated so much joy and expression and freedom for people. Um, And I could point to it as like, this is my of, this is my offering. This is how I'm taking up space in the world. And like, it wasn't there anymore. And I didn't know how to define myself um, within sort of like this black hole. It's so funny. Manushka and I are, are really good friends and I did not realize that that happened in that succession. Like I didn't realize it was like come back from the continent, layoff from Afropunk pandemic. Like I did not realize that those dominoes fell that way. Um, and it's interesting. I think Han and I both built companies that were very much of us. And I certainly, both of us, you know, even when we were trying to decide to do this podcast again, part of the reason we weren't sure if we should is because we felt like we had nothing to say. Like there's a moment where, you know, she's not leaning trash, tastemakers, you know, shuts down. What do I have to say? And so I, I just want to hold space for that feeling of like, this is what I had to say, you know, so to speak. And I'm just curious, like you put so much time and energy and just love and and community into Afropunk. Um, and this, and this moment happened in those immediate steps. Like what was that journey like? And I know you talked about sort of going through like a darker period, but like, how were you finding your, your feet, um, in that moment. You know, the reason why I lead with heart and soul and community first is because that's what actually uh, is lifeblood for me. And I don't say that in a trite way or for like the purpose of just using it. It, it is, it is life force and sustained uh, energy. It is the thing it is probably one of the only things that powers me up. So what that looked like in those months um, was definitely me leaning into a not so great relationship and clinging to it um, because I had not much else. Right. And yes, of course you have family and you have friends. Right. But like when we think about, uh, I guess our conditioning of our existence as, as women and femme identifying folk, you know, love and a partner is a very large chunk of how we are supposed to be defining our lives or part of our lives. Um, so I poured into that cause I just I was like, well, I want me to do something with myself. Right. Um, in addition to that, thankfully, uh, 
having real friends that you can say, I'm going to take a walk outside to come meet you. I'm hopping on my bicycle and we're going to go for a ride. We're going to schedule a house party. Remember when everybody was on house party? We're going to schedule a house party for such and such a person's birthday. We were organizing, um, you know, we're going to cook X, Y, Z meal on this night together. Like I can look at it now. So in awe of the, the multiplicities and like multitudes that I exist in that allows me to have these different pockets of people across the globe, across my neighborhood, across wherever, like personality spectrums, um, gender and sexuality spectrums to tap into. It's like, I know how much of a gift it is to know that I am seen and I am loved by varying groups of people who, when I've tried to bring them together, doesn't quite mesh, but it all makes sense within the tapestry of my world. That's when I also got connected to like Asmaret and uh, some of the community fridges that were popping up and happening. Um, like I just needed to find ways to do something. Mm. I started making or helping. Let me not say making. I was trying to help make masks with my, my, my sudden name with my ex. <laughs> and it, as, as a way of just like, I, I don't really sew. I can help do this. I want to make masks for people. Like, let's do this, right? Like, I just was trying to find ways to not feel so, not just idle, but like empty and as though I just didn't have a purpose and I was just taking up space. And I didn't want to take up spaces just like cells and like skin and nothing else. And there were days that like, that's all that I had to give was like, I'm don't have much to do and I'm just going to lay here and be depressed. And it's what it is. And then there were other days that I would jump rope with a friend of mine that lived in Oakland. We would jump, we literally would jump rope together on zoom. Mm. But this, again, this thing about community it follows me. I, it is something that is inherent to me. I don't know how to do things on my own. I, it, it doesn't, it's, it's, and when I say on my own, I mean, of course, obviously I can do anything on my own. I don't want to. Mm. I, I, I love being experiencing and enjoying and discovering and remaining curious and questioning things and conversing and exchanging and dialoguing and, and debating and being mad and cussing, like I, all of those things that make us inherently human. I need human interaction. I need interpersonal reaction in order to feel like I'm here. Mm. Um, so, you know, in little ways and in big ways, that's how I tried my very best to return to myself or actually see myself is the better way. Sorry, I retract that. I, 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 I did not realize that I could not see myself for who I am and how others view me. So that whole period was really helpful. Um, in hindsight, I could see it as that. That's like data that I was processing, you know? Yeah. And then what happened after that? After that, two things happened. I, one of my, my group chats 
was something that um, the inception point was a, a friend who had a circle of women in her world that she put all in a group chat. None of us knew each other. She was our common mm-hmm. denominator in our rock. And so we would text all day long. The group chat was always going off. We would organize some kind of Zooms. We would do X, Y, Z. And um, right after the murder of George Floyd, uh, that particular group chat, the genesis for um, an event and space um, that I that was created called the layout um, happened through the group chat. So George Floyd happened over Memorial Day weekend, I think, or somewhere around there. Um, and then there were all of the uprisings and protests in New York. Um, the first time that I met anybody from the group chat in real life was at um, a protest on DeKalb Avenue near Fort Greene Park. Um, and it was a particularly contentious night. Um, there were a lot of people who were not indigenous to the neighborhood that were there. Um, so there was a lot of like, you know, sort of young hipsters, white folks throwing around bottles, talking about ACAB. And like, and then there were just like the black folks from the neighborhood and the NYCHA housing complexes that flank um, Fort Greene Park who just really were like, you know, gathering to show and to, it's not even to show, gathering to remember that we're still here. Like no matter how you try to erase and kill and diminish our contributions, our lives, our livelihoods, like we are still here as people. Um, in that particular evening, that's when um, a NYPD van was set ablaze. Um, and I met Emily, my business partner, with, for, uh, the co-founder of The Layout, in real life off of the group chat that particular night. And the very next day, she used to live right across the street from Fort Greene Park. So the very next day, you know, it was as though nothing had happened. The farmer's market was up. The dog park was popping. And there's the luxury of the two, the tales of two cities, right? The tales of, of, of like a neighborhood in which white residents have the luxury and privilege of waking up and just going to get their flowers, walking their dogs, business as usual. It really looked like a set. I was like, it was this, like to have seen what had happened there less than 10 hours ago. And as though like somebody hit cut, there's something, the lived experience of that is, is uh, you as human can be. Like the physical manifestation of watching how you don't have a care in the world and, and you have the privilege of not having that. Mm-hmm. And we have to wake up every day feeling ourselves in our skin and in our bodies. So yeah, that was, those were like big moments. So the layout was really bred from the group chat for the purpose of wanting to acknowledge that we are here. We are here for one another, whatever it is, the fracas and the mayhem and the chaos and the pain around us that we can still gather and we can do that to remember that we are still here in our bodies, that there's still community here to touch, to laugh, 
to remember that we are still full-bodied living humans that have other emotions to tap into and that we need to. Um, and most especially for Black people, you know, we have always relied on community, on community care, on taking really painful tragedies and making beautiful things from that. You know, we leveraged resources internally. We're like, all right, it's going to be hot. How can we get water? Like, is there coffee we need? Like, what do we, what, like we just started to get things together and lean in on, on one another and, and network and community. The beautiful thing is like, this was a, a group chat filled CMOs and SVPs and agency owners and production company. Like it wasn't a hard thing for us to start pulling levers um, and plugging in. And I knew because that there was such a heavy presence um, in Fort Greene Park of like police I, you know, tapped into like the, the parks department and um, from my work at Afropunk to just be like, I need cloud cover. So who do I need to talk to at Fort Green Park to make sure that there is no police coming in, in their vans, in their motorcycles, in their bicycles to just post up and look at black people to make sure that we're not acting up. Um, so these were things that were intentionally done to just create a space to just breathe for a second. So we meditated, we gave thanks for us for being alive and for the folks and people and ancestors that passed on. You know, we had moments of silence and reflection, but we also played music. People brought food and blankets and it was just a kickback and a kickback for no other reason than to remember that we can still kick back. And interestingly enough, because everyone saw a group of black people in the park gathering little protest signs came out and like black lives matter from I'm sure well-intentioned allies um, with whom I had to go have conversations with and say, Hey, we appreciate the sentiment, but also this is time for you to also understand that every time that black people are gathering, it doesn't have to be a protest. Mm. So we would appreciate it if you Mm. would keep your signs and um, there, I'm sure there's a protest happening somewhere. This is not it. Mm. Um, and so, you know, organically the layout grew from, from that spirit. And now we're still hosting things at Fort Green Park that have several thousand <laughs> folks coming and we've done takeovers of Barclays Center Plaza now and, uh, first Saturdays at Brooklyn Museum. Um, that really gave me a lot of solace also. And like, that was salve and balm, the putting my talents and my toolkit to work in a time that I just didn't know what to do with myself. So that was such a beautiful reminder that nothing atrophies. <laughs> and I needed that. You know, I kind of thought like, well, live events are are done for the foreseeable future. What the hell am I supposed to do? <laughs> but I didn't think about it like in, in the pouring into the layout in that way. Like I, you know, I can, tell you this now cerebrally that that's what it was. It was like, well, I can't produce anything. Huh? Um, And then this. What's so, there's so many things here. I think the first is like just how much we get wrapped up in our identities at work. Yeah. And not just we, but like our society is even structured, you know, like the workplace is often structured in a way where this big umbrella is what leads and not, the magical people that create what's there. 
And so the, the work structure, I mean, even if you think about what you sign in an employee contract, oftentimes you're signing away your IP, you're signing away, like what you create within institutions is often like theirs. And so it, it oftentimes feels like stripping you of both the tangible and intangible. And so I, I just wanted to talk about how like this feeling and experience you had mm-hmm. is something I'm sure so many people experience in many different ways. What I also wanted to sort of call out was just the pure genius of the layout and the pure genius of you. Like it was beautiful hearing how from Afropunk to the layout, you're doing these really heart led things, but you're also like a magical wizard at like not only building community. And I think some, I, I'm the head of community at Flybridge and the word community can sometimes feel very touchy feely, but it's actually like a zone of genius because it's like part marketing, part psychology, like it's part, all of these different things. And from your journey from Afropunk to co-founding the layout, you were tapping into like the exact heart of what people needed in this, this lens of like creating spaces where people can be light and free is also like the theme. So you're, you're at Afropunk and, and for those listening that don't really know the history of Afropunk, like it was created for, for like black people who enjoyed punk, like actual punk music. Like it was not and hardcore. Yeah. Like it was, it was not the Burna boy moment that it, like, that was not, I remember hearing about Afropunk back in the day and like you went specifically because you were not going to see a mainstream person and you weren't going to like, you went to find the like cult artists and it really was because there weren't a lot of safe spaces for even black people to be alternative and for black Mm -hmm. people to have like, like subculture is in now, but in the early aughts, like, you know, that absolutely not having a mohawk as a black person, purple hair, gauges, a septum ring. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And now you people are accepted culture yeah. for, for, for fun. Like, for fun. like, like it's, it's lit over there now. Right. And so like before, and that's the thing, like, you know, Afropunk was started by James Spooner um, as a, as a documentary, as a movie. It's because he grew up, loving punk and hardcore music as a black person, a mixed race person that identified as black Mm. and showing up to these white shows where they're like, get the fuck out of here, nigger. And then he can't go back to his neighborhood. They're like, why the fuck do you look like this? Like what kind of white shit are you on? Right. So like this idea of not belonging. And I understand that. So, so intrinsically I've, the othering of, of anyone is something that I abhor. Like it, uh, like I get itchy thinking about it. Like I, I hate when people cannot feel like they can sit with you. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yes, you can sit with us. Like that feeling of being pushed outside to the outskirts because you don't ascribe to some preconceived conditioning that honestly is always led by some old white man is dumb as fuck to me. And so I ascribed to a lot of those things for a very long time. My first introduction to Afropunk, um, Sheree, I still had a perm and was working in finance. I was working at Morgan oh, Stanley. Wow. I don't even know this person. <laughs> Matthew Morgan will tell you, he's seen pictures of me in my perm 
and always laughs. Like, who is she? But I was, I, I just, you do what you're supposed to do. Cause that's what I was taught. Like I'm, I went to school. I needed to make money. My first job out of school was at a finance, like, and, and, you know, like, all right, we'll do that. But then I walked by and was like, what are these black kids on the BMX is doing? Is that a skate rat? Oh, I hear music. Like, you know, like it's, it's so important for us to be able to exist in these different ways and spaces. And, and that's what Afropunk was a bridge for, for that, that, that freedom, that expression. I, I discovered myself in my tenure there, you know, mm. like Afropunk helped me to understand how I fit in and why I fit in the way that I do and why I express and take up space the way that I do and why it is that like Emily and I, can do the layout in this way is because we want, we never want for people and especially people that look like us to feel like they don't have the aperture ability and latitude to just be, just exist how you choose to just laugh right here. Just dance right here. Just eat right here. Just whatever it is, just you can do it. And if we've got to create this, square footage for you to do it for this amount of time, which in and of itself, you know, irks my nerve. I will, I will help to do that and help to create that. But like, yeah. ultimately we shouldn't be relegated to these moments and these Afropunks of the world or the layouts of the world in which we have free expression and creativity and we can just breathe, you know, that's so counterintuitive to a human existence but the human existence as a person of color is is one that is not fully realized. So it's it's interesting. You you kind of it was interesting that you said you sort of discovered yourself through this experience at Afropunk, and then in some ways you lost yourself in the experience at Afropunk, mm-hmm. and then you had all of these seemingly disconnected experiences at the onset of COVID from the, the, the zooms and the dances and the, and the, and the co-jump roping. And then you kind of have this moment with the layout where at least from the outside looking in, it feels like you, you began to realize that you were a through line in Mm. this, um, both as a creator, um, and also as a person who holds these like deep seated beliefs around black people and community and, what we need beyond anger or protest, like, like both of them are symbols of joy. And and so I think um, I just wanted to mention that, but I also see Hannah has a question. So I want to make sure she jumps in. Oh no. I just wanted to say that listening to this, it just is such a beautiful, like Phoenix rising moment that you're talking about with the layout. And I think there's, there's something here that resonates with a lot of people, especially when you were talking about how you found yourself uh, and found how to express yourself at Afropunk. I think that for many people, when we find the job that we can finally express ourselves in and find ourselves in, it's so easy for it to just consume us and become part of our identity. And in fact, it doesn't even need to be like, a super cool job, like working at Afropunk, it could be, you know, working on Wall Street, which you also talked about. I was having this conversation recently with someone who was talking about layoffs in tech. And my 
my sort of cautionary tale to them was like, whatever you do, don't let this place become your identity because Mm. it can happen just as much in a corporate environment as it can at a festival or building your own company or working with a friend. And I think, I think it's important to just like touch on how universal that theme is and how incredible it is that you managed to find your, find your new, your, the new part of you to express this thing again in a different way after that happened. Yeah. It's a great point because it's, it is that thing of um, we're conditioned. Like I, I I cannot tell you how many times I check out of a conversation with somebody if within the first two minutes, somehow they're asking me what I do for a living. I have no desire to talk to this person anymore. I just don't. And I'm trying to work my way around that because there is a certain level of like, yes, I understand why you want to know so that we you can decipher, hopefully, um, if there's ways in which we want to collaborate or talk about something else. Usually it's just like people want to put you in these slots and understand where and how you're beneficial to them or not is what well, I generally find. in New York City. <laughs> so that's why I, I tend to check out of that. But like we are literally defined by what we do. We go to school and are told to, you know, study and get advanced degrees in order to, yes, make more money, but also like... I graduated college when I was uh, 20 years old. So I started when I was 16. I went to one semester of law school. I didn't go because I wanted to go to law school. I went to law school because my mom wanted to be able to say that I was going to be a lawyer by the time I was 23. Like there are things, and I got caught up in that. Like I wanted to be able to say like, I got my JD. I'm 22, 23 years old. I've got my, like, because all we know how to do is go look at my report card. Don't you love me? Can you validate that I'm, I'm here and I'm a great mm-hmm. human? Like, that's literally all that we're all doing. Like, we're all still some version of our childhood selves looking for validation. Oof. And the things that we amass, whether they be through, you know, wealth building and asset building, whether it be through accolades and commendations, whether it be through romantic partners and marriage and children. Like it is all for an external system to tell you that you matter. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like capitalism is so fucked up y'all. <laughs> like mm-hmm. my Lord, I, I like it. And it's really difficult to extract and find yourself within the complexities of all that, because Mm -hmm. it is from the minute that you are born that this is your software. Your iOS has been uploaded into you, into like, you have to achieve and reach these things in order for you to be considered valuable. Like really when you get down to it, because even when somebody's asking you, yo, so what do you do for a living? They're trying to figure out they can get some out of you. Are you a value or not? And if you're not, I'm going to move on to somebody else that is like, I don't, I hate that. I don't, I don't want to ascribe to it, but also I can't help it because I don't know anything else other than that. Like love, the word love wasn't used in my house like that. I I would get, it wasn't like, it wasn't obviously my parents loved me, but like the words weren't used. It was when I brought home the 95 or a straight a hundred or my report card was straight A's that 
the affection mm. was unlocked. Mm-hmm. So we're all Pavlovian dogs waiting for this positive reinforcement. And the positive reinforcement comes from, look at what I did. Mm-hmm. You think that's great, right? Therefore, I'm great. Like, it's weird. We learn to outsource. <sighs> so the complexities of it all, right? So you're a creator. You're a community builder. You're a lover of joy. And you've created not only the layout, but many other things, you know, since the pandemic. Um, a question I have for you is against the backdrop of these complex systems that you're both working to disrupt through your work, but also very much working in. How have you like what are the tools you're using to navigate? Like you did this huge thing with Converse that I know about. Like that's a huge corporation, but you did something like wildly insane with them. And like, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, how are you integrating being like a crazy talented marketer, creator, partnership, like all the various like super genius things that you are. (laughs) while also staying true to the convictions that you have. Cause I think yeah. most of us are trying to find the balance in that yeah. daily. Yeah. I will say that I have had the privilege of like access to real visionaries um, and entities that absolutely are powered by disruption or bust. Mm. And, and I say that, 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 that that's a privileged standing to be in because I remember when I felt like just a cog in the machine, I've worked for various corporations and um, it hasn't been since probably like the last eight to 10 years that I found my own stride and what my tools actually are. The things that I've learned in that time span is that my personal iOS system is unlike any other, right? I've realized that my individuality and the way in which I approach left and right brain actually speaking to one another is a superpower And when I'm in rooms with creators and artists that have really big ideas and lofty, or at least they appear lofty, um, being able to distill and synthesize and bring something accessible without watering it down is an art practice in and of itself, is a social practice in and of itself. I've recognized that the tools that I, the intangible tools, the soft skills are so undervalued and underrated within our systems and how it is that like we work. Um, And I would challenge most people to say that like, if you've got, if you can read and you can Google and type and look up some on YouTube university, the practical stuff for the most part, you really can learn the intangibles. That is to me that, that, that is an art form in and of itself. And I can't like teach that to you. 
you can practice on making and developing the muscle. But what I've learned is like people enjoy working with me, no matter the industry, no matter C-suite or anything in between, want to exchange ideas, execute a thing, have uh, somebody on their side helping to bring something and, and go to market with it that you actually like and can talk to and can bounce ideas off of and understands how to take conceptualized things and make them palatable and accessible for people. Mm. If we forget the, the you in the equation, I just... I think that's why I can't do anything that is not heart led and heart forward because I always lead with myself personally and the you of whoever the end goal user is supposed to be. Was that like tools? Well, I have a, a follow-up question and, and you may, might be like, I can't answer this. I literally just told you that I can't, um, but I'm going to try asking it anyway. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that really struck me when you were talking earlier is like all these amazing like group chats and different pockets of friends that you're talking about. And this, this, you described it as like this tapestry of people that you have built this life with and even being thrown into a group chat by someone where you don't know the other people in it. And then that actually resulting in this incredible new initiative is like, I think to many people who are listening sounds pretty damn cool. And here we are now post pandemic. And a lot of people are reassessing their social lives. Like they've been upended. People are making new friends. Maybe they've moved. Maybe they realize the people they used to hang out with, they're not the ones they want to be hanging out with anymore. And so I'm wondering, like, do you have any practical tips for people who are rebuilding or renewing their social tapestries right now on how you, how you do this, how you build such an incredible and diverse network? Um, I think that it's okay to be yourself, whether it be weirdo, whether it be, and I know that I, I'm not even trying to be trite. Like I'm actually introverted and I'm, I'm leaning more so to ambivert than anything, but really I am an introvert. It does not seem like it, but I am, I am an introvert that through virtue of spaces and places that I've been in, I've had to project into meeting myself as the extrovert. Is that making sense? So I, I will lean on these social awkward things like anybody else. When I'm entering a room that where I don't know anybody, I'll look at my phone and I'm now consciously, I just came back from, from, um, uh, a wedding, a destination wedding, a family member got married in Jamaica. I entered like a space and it was weird because none of my family members were there. And there was somebody sitting next to me on a phone and I could tell that like, you know, like they were just on the phone because there's like nobody else there. And I was being shy and Sheree knows this about me. I'm not very good with like flirting and talking to the opposite sex. And it's just like, I get really, this is how, you know, like I actually am. Cause I'm just like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> what do I do? Oh my God. And so 
I personally challenge myself to, I'm, I'm on my why not right now. I don't say no and I don't say yes. So you know how people say, oh, I have a year of yes, or I'm going to have a year of saying, I'm just on my why not. And sometimes the why not, like, and I'll do a cost benefit in my head. It's like the why not is not, nah, if you do that, this is what can happen. But more often than not, it, it feels easier to ask yourself, well, why not? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Mm. And so I, I talked to this gentleman and I had a lovely conversation for that. I lasted a few hours. So some practical tools look like try a thing and say, why not? And I want to meet people. The only way that like I've amassed this group of varying folks is, is cause I had to go, hi, I'm Manishka. Mm. Just starting with, hello, I am. What a powerful thing. I think it's a powerful thing because it acknowledges for yourself that like, hi, I'm here. Mm. Hey, other human, I see you here too. Can you tell me more about you? We're both here. Like there's this, I'm, I, I think that's the, there, I've, there's been a lot of loss um, this year. And, and, you know, obviously over the course of the pandemic, we've all suffered loss in some way, shape or form, but I've had some big losses these last few months. And I think that I'm really leaning into the, the physicality of my presence. I'm here. I'm actually here still. So what am I doing? I want to be more present in my life and how I'm exchanging with others around me. And in order to do that, I've got to do it. You know, unfortunately, everything around us is some level of work. We got to do some kind of work. <laughs> um, and sometimes the inner work just can be a why not and a hello, my name is. And I think that if we start with those simple bare minimums, the doors of limitless possibilities and curiosity just lie ahead. Sometimes they get shut real quick, but honestly, you don't know until you step through it. So those are my two tools. I love that. So inspiring. Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> no, seriously. I, even me, I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably a little too much. Why not? I might need a nah girl. Like I might need a nah girl here. <laughs> oh my God, that's my budget and like eight. Uh, flight searches are in my tabs right now outside of this. I need a nod, girl. Mm -hmm. my, eight, my eight flight searches say, why not? <laughs> my budget says, nah, girl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's always the tension. Same. Same. Just thinking about this, why not, actually, makes me think about, like, a moment that's happening right now. Uh, in the world, and that's all things Barbie, who in some ways is like the epitome of why not for women. Like that, like I know uh, not everyone thinks of it that way, but like Barbie and all her 8,000 professions is kind of like that. But something you brought up as we think about like the record scratch moment of this episode is some of the think pieces you've read. So I'd love to hear like the moment this week where you were like, WTF, I just want to watch the Barbie movie. And like, yeah. what you were thinking, kind of what you were thinking about some of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, largely critically acclaimed, right? So, which is, you know, great reviews. People are like, Barbie, 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 Barbie. Um, I've, you know, picked up a couple of threads in which there's been like, are we really celebrating? Like the symbol of the subjugation 
of the woman. And it's like, man, if you don't shut the hell up and like, and, and, and like, first of all, I'm not a person that grew up playing with Barbies. I would just want to say that my household wasn't like the Barbie household. Cause my mama wasn't going to go spend money on a Barbie. That that's the only reason why, like I got some budget level, I got dolls. It just wasn't Barbie. <laughs> well, you know, actually <laughs> like I, this is the world that we live in that we cannot, we cannot express joy for a thing that makes us feel good without a well actually voice coming in to like negate everything for the sake of being a contrarian. I don't know just for the sake of clicks. I don't care. I just think that sometimes it is okay to suspend disbelief and to still your ideals can still remain intact. I promise. If you go see Barbie, you're not going to be less of a feminist or more of a feminist. If anything, we all know what we, well, I don't know if we all know the woman who created Barbie, very rich, rich, well-to-do woman. And she created Barbie because she saw and heard her daughter playing with dolls with her friend and being like, all right, well, Let's change an outfit so that she can go cook now. And let's change an outfit so that she can go to school. And it was just the fact that she wanted to unlock imaginations and possibilities for young girls to see different versions of themselves other than being at home as homemakers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but again, why not? And two more things why not? Two more things can be true. We can know that yeah. like none of us are going to be shaped like that ever. Like this is ever. not like we're just not going to do that. And that there are more than one skin tone of black and brown girl. Like we we yeah. know all of these things to be true. But like I was I was saying earlier, like it's also okay to have imagination and like a little bit of a fairy tale and a little bit of an escape and. I don't know. Greta Gerwig is now like the highest grossing female director opening weekend. I think like ever, is it ever I have. like, and like the world's running out of pink paint all of a sudden too. Right? Yeah. God capitalism. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's definitely I want to see it. I, it looks good. And then there's this whole, did you see there's a um, Monique Woodard uh, posted something? She's um, used to be at 500 startups now she's a, a VC at Cake Ventures. She did this whole, like, there's this whole thing, and I think it's Fast Company today, about the the female economy and how, mm-hmm. like, Barbie, Beyonce, and Taylor Swift have just, like, blown up the whole consumer spending mm-hmm. in, the, in the summer. And, like, Mr. Mister or Mrs. Think Piece, like, how can we hold all the things that women can be and influence? Like, why can't we just hold them all very different demographics, very different stories, very different things, but all women, like all different versions of women and the women supporting these people slash films, like also like a range and global Mm -hmm. would be great to like really dig into celebrating that. I find it so meta that we've spent so much of this episode talking about finding joy in community, even in the darkest moments. Mm -hmm. And then now we're talking about a moment where it's just pure joy. I mean, there's really no reason to dig further. Like, just go to the movie, get some popcorn, have fun, watch Barbie. And yet we can't even have that. It's like there's always got to be someone (laughs) 
<laughs> that's trying to take the joy out of it. And I think if there's like one big takeaway I have from listening to you today, it's just to do that. Why not? And find the joy in things the truly joyful things and the truly horrible things and all, everything in the middle, because that's where, that's where the community starts to happen. Yeah. That's where the life is lifing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's that, that resistance. I mean, I, I'm 2020. I did not feel like the activists that wanted to be on the front line. Like that just was never my jam. It wasn't, wasn't who I was. And I think joy in the face of things is, is often like the unspoken hero for all of us. And it's just amazing that you have created, continue to create, um, but also outside of creation, you continue to be that (laughs) just in yourself. And I just want to thank you for coming on and doing this episode with us. It's been so cool, even as your friend, to hear some of the nuances in your journey. Thank you for sharing it with Han and I and everybody listening. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for sharing. We learned so much from you. This was just a delight <laughs> to have you on the show. I loved your practical tips. We got so inspired with you. In fact, I'm so inspired. I might just go buy something fuchsia to watch that movie in <laughs> just for the sheer joy of it, because I know other people will too. And why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Thank you again, Manushka, for everything that you brought to today's show and to our listeners. Um, For those of you who would like to keep up with Manushka's work, you can check her out on Instagram at ma.nush.ka, M-A.N-U-S-H dot K-A. Or if you happen to be in New York City and you want to check out the layout, which we talked about on today's show too, you can do that at the-lay-out.com. If you're picking up what we're putting down and you want to continue to hear from incredible guests like Manushka and generally enjoy Han and I, make sure you follow us on all the social platforms at GotRealPod and rate and review us on everywhere you're listening to your podcast. See you next week.